And we thank you, Lord God, therefore, that we have the assurance that have brought us here tonight, have been ordained of you, and thereby, Lord, we know that we are not here by chance, we're not here in vain, we're not here by mistake. We are here, Lord, because you have brought us here. And Father, we gather here tonight to worship you as we have worshiped you just now through song, praising your greatness. And now, Lord, we worship you by the hearing of your holy word being taught and being expounded. We pray that you would not let our hearing be in vain, but that we would hear your scriptures most effectually and that we would be so sanctified by the things that we do indeed hear tonight, Lord, from your word. May you grant us, therefore, the spiritual wisdom and understanding that each one of us need to so hear your scriptures taught that we will be more fashioned into the image of your eternal Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. It is in his holy name that we ask these things. For his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Well, I do invite you to open up God's word to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 8 through verse 19. Verses 8 through 19 of Proverbs chapter 1 as we will be considering what I've entitled a picture of godly parenting. Starting at verse 8, hear my son your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us Ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its 
possessors. And so reads the infallible, the inerrant word of the living, eternal God. This evening we return to our study in the book of Proverbs where we have entered on a thematic exposition of this divine wisdom book. And tonight we're going to begin to look at the theme of parenting as it is distilled in Proverbs. In addition to this, we're also going to continue considering some further principles about friendship as taught in Proverbs as well. Our scripture focus for this entire study will have us looking at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. The principal lesson which God's wisdom is unpacking here in this passage is that bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. That, of course, comes right out of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33. And so the instruction and admonition given here is to sound off an alarm by way of protecting us from the association of evil companions. In other words, we need to be wise in our choice of friends. But the context in which this instruction takes place is in the home with the teachers being mom and dad and the students being the children. In fact, the picture which Proverbs chapter 1, 18 through 19 is portraying is what godly parenting should be. To say it another way, we're given here an example or a slice of how Christian parents shepherd their children in the fear of God. So as we study this passage, I want us to see first the picture of godly parenting, and then second, the wisdom in choosing friends. Beginning first, the picture of godly parenting. Reading verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. There are three lessons we can draw from Proverbs chapter 1, 8 through 19, as it concerns how godly parenting shows up. Number one, training our children is a joint effort by the father and the mother. Training our children is a joint effort by the father and the mother. This is why we see the son called to hear his father's instruction and to forsake not his mother's teaching. Clearly, both parents are involved in the shepherding of their children. And this makes sense when Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 commands us to honor who? Your father and your mother. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 exhorts children to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. To honor and obey both parents implies an education which the children are receiving from their father and their mother. It's not either or, but both and who are providing godly education. 
But while such training is a joint effort, it is the father who takes the lead. As noted here in Proverbs, Bruce Walkey observes very insightfully, only the father speaks elsewhere in Proverbs in the first person, and he identifies the mother's teaching with his, never his with hers, suggesting the father's leadership in the home. Adding weight to this fact, consider how in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, it is fathers who are commanded not to provoke their children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Very clearly, God's word does not give Christian fathers a free pass from educating their children in the ways of the Lord. The truth is, the responsibility for such training is the special responsibility of the father due to his God-given position as the head of the home. Lesson number two. The instruction and teaching of God-fearing parents must never be forsaken but obeyed. This lesson obviously fixes attention on the children and the response they render to mom and dad. But it is a lesson which is true to the teaching here in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, verse 10 and verse 15. Notice, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And then, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. The verbs employed here are imperatives, not suggestions. And what this tells us in the bigger picture is that God has given authority to parents which their children are expected to honor and obey. Indeed, it is a moral command of God out of his moral law where children are told, honor your father and your mother. The principle behind this command is to learn to submit to those whom God has placed over you in authority. And where does that begin? It starts in the home. It starts in the home. Now, one footnote to this that I want to add here is that when you look at the Ten Commandments, okay, when you look at the Ten Commandments, and you recognize that in the Ten Commandments you have two tables, the first table of the first four commandments that have all to do with our relationship with God, the last six commandments have to do with our relationship to our fellow man, okay? We know the summation of all Ten Commandments are in the Two Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors as you love yourself. All right? Now here's what I want you to consider. When you look at the second table of the law, which is about loving your neighbor as you love yourself, which is about having a right relationship with your fellow man, what is the first great commandment in the second table? But it is honor your father and your mother. 
Honoring your father and your mother precedes you shall not murder. It precedes you shall not commit adultery. It precedes you shall not steal and you shall not bear false witness and you shall not covet. To be in a right relationship according to God's law with our fellow man begins with learning to submit to those in authority over you and that learning starts in the home. That's where it all begins. So, this implies then for Christian parents that they are not to abdicate their authority and just try to be their children's friend. Taking this approach to parenting that is trying to be your child's friend, their buddy, rather than being the parent God has called you to be. Taking this approach to parenting is an absolute denial of one's role and position of a parent to the child, and it will prove in the long run to be a, to be a horrible disservice to the children. In fact, the fruit of such phony parenting, and that is, it is phony parenting, just trying to be their friend, okay? The fruit of that kind of parenting will be a future generation of anarchists. Never having learned to respect God-given, God-delegated authority because the parents denied it to their children in hopes of what? Winning their children's favor? Do you know how many parents make this grave mistake? This grave error in their parenting? Too many. Far too many. And I dare say we see it, yes, even in Christian parents. Christian parents. Lesson number three. Godly parents give clear warning to their children about the subtle temptations and dangerous consequences of following in the company of the wicked. You see this in verses 11 through 14. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. What are we reading there? We're reading what the father is rehearsing to his son about these evil people out here, these types of people that he's warning his son, do not associate with them. And here are the reasons why. Because here's how they're going to subtly draw you away, lead you astray. Godly parents give clear warning to their children about the subtle temptations and dangerous consequences 
of following in the company of the wicked. And as we've just read, this lesson is coming directly from our text because we see the emphasis of this particular, this particular parental education focused on the danger of associating with bad company. And what this lesson should teach us as Christian parents are the following. Number one, since God has placed these children in our charge to shepherd according to his word, then it is a moral obligation we have to equip them with the wisdom and discernment to recognize the company of evil men. Since we see in Proverbs chapter 1, 8 through 19, the direct and very blunt in-your-face instruction given by the parents to their children regarding the temptation to be enticed by bad company, then this should clue us in on the fact that our children do not have the innate wisdom to figure this out. They don't. The need to be in community with one's peers is part of our human makeup. So then the ease at which our sons and daughters can be led astray by their peers who oppose God is far more subtle than we think. Far more subtle than we think. Especially if our sons and daughters do not know the Lord in a saving way. We thus cannot afford to leave our children, especially as young adults, to their own devices without instilling in them godly counsel about their associations. It clearly matters to God and his wisdom, which in turn translates as that which should matter to us as godly parents. Finally, Christian parents who are not preparing their child for the inevitable pitfalls of corrupt people in the world are setting their children up for a fall. You're just setting your son, your daughter up for a fall. So then, if as a Christian parent you don't want to be guilty of this, then what do you do? Well, you, that means then you shepherd the heart of your children by getting involved in their lives with God's wisdom navigating the course. But you've got to get involved. You've got to get involved. That means you've got to communicate I know that for some parents that's a novel idea, but you got to communicate with your kids. You got to be blunt in asking them what is going on in their mind. What are they thinking? What are they thinking? Because parents who don't communicate like that openly and transparently with their kids well, then they have no idea what their kids not only are thinking, but they even don't have any idea what their kids are doing and who they're connecting with. This reminds me of an incident that occurred several years ago 
in another church where I was pastoring. And uh, I had uh, received a phone call from this man in our church. And it was a phone call about his daughter, his oldest daughter. And he had shared with me that it was a matter that he was taking care of, but that his daughter um, had been caught in some kind of conversation with another girl, who as a matter of fact was also a part of our church family and whose parents were members of our church. But their conversation was um, rather illicit. And, um, but he just assured me He's taking care of this. He's taking care of this. So I was like, okay. Um, well, I guess I know what to pray for. Fine, you're taking care of it. You know, and that was that. Was that. As far as I was, I was concerned, end, end of the story. Okay, fine. Well, the next day I get a phone call from another member of our church who begins telling me about this girl that his wife was starting to counsel. And he begins telling me it was because of some conversation she had with another girl. He, he wasn't dropping names. As far as he knew, I didn't know who these people were, but then I, I easily I figured it out. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you talking about so-and-so and so? He said, yeah, how did you know? I said, well, I heard from her dad. But then what I heard from him coming from his wife in the counsel that she was giving this other girl, it was much worse than what I heard from the other man. So I was under the impression, well, you know, um, you, you need to contact this brother and you need to let him what he knows. You need to let him know what you know because, because he ain't got a clue that his daughter, you know, is was talking this kind of trash and thinking these things and, and, and is in some kind of illicit pursuit with a, some other guy, you need to let him know this. And he said, okay, I will, I will. So he called, he, he called this brother, he, he told him everything he knew. And then I get a phone call back and he says, well, I called him and he said he already knew about all that. I said, what? So, you know, you can tell things are getting more complex here and deeper. Don't you, want to, don't you want to do what I do as a pastor? <laughs> um, and so, and so, so then to add a, another layer to this, another layer, then the following Sunday, the other, the other girl, her father approaches me and he doesn't know what I know and he starts telling me what his daughter had done. And, and then I said to him, I said, well, have, have you talked to brother so-and-so about that? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I met with him for breakfast, and I, I shared with him all of the documented uh, emails between the two girls. You did? And he knows that? And he says, yeah. So then I realize, you know what? I've not been told the whole truth by this one man. So when I go to him and I 
I tell him everything that I know. Here was my question to him. Here was my question, and this, this was the point I'm getting at, telling you the story. My question to him was this. What are you doing to shepherd your daughter's heart? Are you, are you really talking to her about all of this? What are you doing? And this was his response to me. My wife and I have decided that we're just going to let her come and tell us when she's good and ready, but we're not going to go to her and talk to her. So he never addressed the issue with his oldest daughter. Now let me give you the Paul Harvey rest of the story. Two months later, his daughter gives, his parent, gives her parents the finger and she turns 18, she's a legal adult, she tells them, I'm out of here. And the guy that she was forbidden to see, she runs off with him and gets pregnant. Oh, but what did, but, but, but what did he tell me? We're just going to wait till she comes to us and talks to us. We're not, we're, not, we're not going to shepherd her heart. We're not going to talk to her. And here are the consequences of that choice. If you are a parent, you need to get inside your kids' heads and their hearts, and you need to find out where are they really. Communicate. Communicate. Shepherd them according to the word of God. Do not leave them to their own devices. Do, do you know what Proverbs tells us about the heart of a child? It says foolishness, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So guess what, Mom and Dad? What does God's Word say that we do because of that issue? You've got to discipline them. But the discipline is not, listen, the discipline is not just corrective, it's also formative. They've got to be instructed. They've got to be instructed. Not only corrected, but instructed. But the tragedy is so many, yes, Christian parents, they don't do that. And you know what I've heard from Christian parents about that? As they say to me, it's too hard. It takes too much time. Why did you have kids? Yes, it is. It's hard work. You're right, and it does take time. It takes a lot of time. And you read Proverbs, and you see the parenting going on in Proverbs, and you realize, okay, if it's going to be God's way by God's wisdom, it takes a whole lot more than me asking my kids just, well, how was your day? You doing okay? Okay. And we're walking away. It takes more than that. More than that. Well, getting back to our text, and the parents here are going, okay, yeah, please, let's get back to the text. Um, second, the second great truth taught in this passage is that is regarding the wisdom in choosing friends. 
the wisdom in choosing friends. Since the principal lesson of Proverbs chapter 1, 8 through 19 is warning us against the association of bad company, that is the principal lesson, then the outworking of this lesson is gaining godly wisdom in the choice of our friends or fraternal. What then is the wisdom we, we can gain as Christians from this passage as well as other related portions in God's word? Okay, let's look. First, we should not associate with those as our companions whose way of life is the way of sin. The term translated sinners in verse 10 is a noun which describes someone who sins habitually. In other words, this is the kind of person Proverbs 1-7 designates as the fool who disregards God's wisdom and instruction. This is essentially an unbeliever. Okay? Essentially an unbeliever. 2 Corinthians 6.14 adds more light to this when it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We've seen this passage quite a bit since we've been in Proverbs. What does this principal commandment mean? It means don't be under the same harness of direction as an unbeliever who is never going God's way but the way of sin. In Psalm chapter 1, in Psalm chapter 1, in verse 1 and 2, we are told that the godly are blessed. Why? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There is a definitive separation between the godly and the ungodly, between the believer and the unbeliever. A definitive separation. Okay? And you... <laughs> You read all of God's word and you, you see that separation by example and by a command. And we're looking at it here by way of command and imperative. Second, we should not associate with those whose evident direction of life is thinking only, in, only of themselves and how they can be number one. Now, this is interesting here. These sinners who the father warns his son not to keep company with are those driven purely by selfish ambition. They care nothing for the welfare of others in any respect. Other people are nothing but objects to meet an end which is their own self-serving satisfaction. But what's important to see in this is that such people are not going to be so overt about this ambition. They will instead appeal to the flesh of others to meet their agenda. And that's what we see going on here in Proverbs chapter 1. We also are warned about this in Proverbs 26, 28, a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net 
for his feet. This is how this 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 is how unbelievers who are working an evil agenda this is how they get the naive the unsuspecting they draw them in by the net of flattery they appeal to your flesh they warm you up by stroking your ego that's flattery that's flattery God's word warns us warns us strongly against this sin tends to recruit and so we therefore need to watch our own hearts from being pulled into the fraternal of the ungodly because their enticements are pandering to our own lust ray orland jr in his commentary on proverbs he, he gave this warning he said, there are many legal, polite, arguable, even religious ways of saying, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. But what is this all about? Pride, envy, greed, jealousy, retaliation, and so forth. Watch those thoughts and feelings creeping into conversations with other people. You will want to get others on your side. God is warning us here. Sure, we all long for community, but there is a kind of community to which we should never want to belong. And let me just say this in the context of the visible church, okay? In many and various local churches, there may be those individuals who wear a lot of religious garb, okay, they're not born again, but they are religiously deceptive, and they have an agenda to work. They, they appear, okay, like Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, okay, he warns us there about the false apostles, these emissaries of Satan. And, you, and do, you, do you remember what Paul says even about the devil himself? He says, Satan even appears as an angel of light, okay? Well, beloved, I can tell you this from personal experience, having watched this at work in a local church, that these kind of people, they know how to work a crowd, and they know how to land on the naive church member and seduce them with all kinds of flattery, enticing them, drawing them in, and sowing seeds of doubt in their mind about the leadership about the truth that's being taught and seeking to undermine it all for their own personal agenda. Those kind of people, those kind of people are not just out there in the world. They also work in the visible church. And so that's why the word of God warns us over and over throughout the scriptures against such people like this. We have got to be on our guard. In fact, let me give you one example. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 16 because you do need to see this. Romans 16. So here's the Apostle Paul 
nearing the end of his letter to the church at Rome. And he gives this stern warning at the end of his epistle to the to the church at Rome. In verse 17 of Romans chapter 16, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And then notice the next imperative. Avoid them. These are people you steer clear of. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. This sounds like the people we're talking about in Proverbs chapter 1. And But look at this. Look at this. And by smooth talk and flattery, what do they do? They deceive the hearts of the naive. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Are there naive people in the church? That's a rhetorical question. Indeed, the church is full of them. Unsuspecting, who think in that simpleton mindset that everybody is just so nice. In fact, these are the people that if, if you are just nice to them, they'll believe anything you tell them. Anything. And it's these kind of people that Romans chapter 16 says, all right, you're the naive that, the, that, that these menaces of the truth, these menaces who oppose the truth of God, who cause divisions in the church, you are their targets. They've got you in the crosshairs. And so God's word says, watch out, be aware of them, and do what? Avoid them. You have nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. So, a certain kind of community we should never belong to. Never. And we need to be aware, clearly, biblically, of what that is. Third, we must remember the biblical axiom Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Now, this is the truth which the father presses on his son in verses 17 through 19 here in Proverbs chapter 1. He writes, he says to his son, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Not only is the way of the ungodly foolish, but it's stupid in the highest degree. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. That's what the scripture says. And you know something about what you reap? You always reap more than you sowed. You always reap more than you sowed. Fanning out this fact from our text, Eric Lane, in his commentary on Proverbs, he wrote this. He said, the criminals didn't include this in their advert. Advert? He's British. Advertisement. But the truth is that while there may be short-term gains, the end result is disaster. 
which provides the parent with good arguments for his warning. A course of crime once embarked on is unstoppable. It starts with mugging but may end with murder. The idea of keeping it secret is a myth. When birds see trappers laying snares, they fly off, which is to say people soon get to know who the criminals are and take evasive action. Once their identity is known, they are soon caught, and what they did to others is done to them. The conclusion is that instead of the riches he was originally offered, he loses everything, perhaps even his life. The only way to avoid this is to avoid their company. Again, for moms and dads, it takes time to teach that. It takes time to teach your children these things. Fourth, and finally, as Christians, and this just takes us back to last Wednesday night's study, the only friendships we should cultivate and thereby the only company we should keep are with those who fear the Lord. With those who fear the Lord. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. I was going to quote this last Wednesday, but I had the opportunity tonight to quote it here. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Fellowship and companionship with God-fearing believers produces what? More of the same. As Christians, our closest associations should be with other believers who will point us faithfully to Christ and thereby keep us on track with God's word as the lamp for our feet and the light for our path. These are our true friends. Anyone who would steer us in a different direction than this, they are not our true friends. We therefore must be wise and discerning as God's people as to who we choose to be in close company with. Only those who follow Christ are worth having as real friends. Only those who follow Christ are worth having as real friends. But as we learned last week, To develop a real friendship takes time, doesn't it? It takes time and it takes work. And that's why there are many Christians who have great fellowship with other Christians, but they don't have friends. They don't have a friendship because that takes time. It takes an investment. And for some of us, we say to ourselves, and say to ourselves kind of foolishly, we say, um, I just don't have the time. Well, you're right. You got to make it. You got to make the time. You got to make it happen. But, the great principal point of tonight's study is choose your friends very, very wisely, very carefully. And while I don't see any of you, brethren, uh, getting locked in with some 
just, you know, overt evil person, you know, an unbeliever uh, or anything like that. I don't see that necessarily being uh, maybe your great temptation, but it can be a temptation if you're not careful to be in, a, to be in association, to, to develop a friendship with another Christian who could in fact who could in fact because of their own what spiritual maturity maybe even perhaps because of doctrines they believe that are either aberrant or maybe even false but they may not be the best kind of close-knit company for you to keep you can fellowship with them as a believer in Christ but having an actual friendship with him may not be the wisest thing. So again, it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom in choosing friends. But God gives us the wisdom. And his wisdom comes from his word. And so let's take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for just how very practical in the most blunt kind of way your word, the teaching of it, has been to us tonight. I think of this, Lord, particularly in the matter and context of Christian parenting, the parenting that you've called your people to engage in for the children that you have given us and you've put in our charge as a heritage from you. Lord, we pray that you will continue to grow us, those of us who are, in fact, parents, that you will continue to grow us and mature us and sanctify us in all of those many and varied areas where we need great sanctification and how we shepherd our sons and daughters. And whether they are sons and daughters in the age bracket of just being mere children or perhaps young adults, Lord, we pray that you will give us as parents the grace to fear you far more than we fear our sons and daughters and what they may think of us or how they may react to us if we, indue, if we do indeed engage them as you've called us to do and as we see examples of this throughout your word and especially in the book of Proverbs. We pray, Lord, for the grace to do those hard things, to carry out the necessary discipline that is both formative and corrective. And we pray, Father, that, that you will protect our children. Protect them, we pray, from bad company that does corrupt good morals. That you will guard them from having associations with those who could very well be a horrible influence on them and lead them astray from the truth that we are seeking as their parents to instill in them.
Father, we trust in you with our whole heart for all such things as this, pleading with you for the grace we need, especially as moms and dads, to do what you have called and commanded us to do. For the sake of Christ and to his honor, in his name we pray. Amen and amen.